all right-wing authoritarian movements always do this. It's how they come to power. They drive chaos, and then they promise to restore order with easy scapegoats. Yeah, we're at a very dangerous moment in this country, and it's going to get worse. Hey, welcome to the broadcast. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. You know what I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. I hope you agree, and thank you very much for joining us for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast, which is always filled with nothing but good news and fun times. Rainbows and kittens. That's what we're known for. Uh, anyway, let's, in fact, start. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. Let's start with, in fact, some good news here, as it's always nice to do before things turn darker today, as they often do. Uh, with my guests coming up momentarily. This broke late on Thursday. And as much as Desi Doyen wanted us to try to fit it in on uh, on, on our uh, previous broadcast, we were just unable to. Didn't have time to cover it, so we shall do so now. President Biden announced on Friday that he is using his executive authority to restore sweeping environmental protections to three major national monuments that had been stripped away by former President Donald J. Trump. Biden is reinstating and slightly expanding the original 1.3 million acre boundaries of Bears Ears National Monument and restoring the original 1.8 million acre boundaries of Grand Staircase Escalante to rugged and pristine expanses in Utah that are defined by Red Rock Canyons, rich wildlife, and archaeological treasures. Truly stunning landscapes that every American should see. And that Donald Trump really worked hard to destroy. I know we covered uh, quite a bit throughout the years as Donald Trump was pulling this trick that no president had ever even attempted to do before. 
Um, but Joe Biden will also restore protections covering the Atlantic Ocean's first marine monument, the Northeast Canyons and Seamounts off the New England coast. Uh, Trump had sharply reduced the size of all three of these national monuments at the urging of local ranchers, the fishing industry, Republican leaders opening up, opening them up to mining and drilling and development. Yes, despite the dying coal industry amidst our climate crisis, Donald Trump lopped off nearly one million acres from Bears Ears in order to make it accessible to coal mining. That nobody actually wants to do. Right, except the coal industry, which is dying, as you say. Now, what's really, I think, important to consider about this is that it really marks a shift away from the short-term revenue that's generated by these multinational extraction industries mm. like mining yeah. and logging and the oil and gas industry and the coal industry. Yeah. So they mine Utah's natural resources, and then they send those profits out of state, mm. and then they leave. Yep. Once they've mined the resource and to who, exhaustion. who cleans it up once they leave? Guess what? Surprise, the locals get <laughs> yes. left with the cleanup bill. Yep. And so that is the alternative to the sustainable permanent profits that you can get from tourism and the outdoor recreation industry. Mm -hmm. You know, those generate profits that, 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 that uh, circulate locally mm -hmm. and that li literally go on you know, forever, as long as they maintain the landscape, because nobody wants to go hiking around an oil derrick or a, a coal ash slag pond. <laughs> uh, also, you don't despoil the Native American Indian treasures oh, exactly. uh, that have been there for thousands of years. Yeah, but if you're going to make an economic argument like Trump did, then yeah. this, I think, is the important economic argument of the sustainable profits and generated revenue in perpetuity. Well put. The uh, White House is announcing that uh, President Biden's protections of these three national monuments is among a series of steps that the administration has taken to restore protections to some of America's most cherished lands and waters, many of which are sacred to tribal nations, uh, according to the administration, accurately. Donald Trump's 2017 decision to slash Bears Ears by nearly 85 percent Alarmed paleontologists, environmentalists, and Native American groups, Bears Ears is rich in fossils dating back to hundreds of millions of years and is an important cultural landmark for tribal nations. Yeah, but it's not making the coal industry any money. Bears Ears and the Northeast Canyons and Seamounts had been both had both been established by President Barack Obama. Remember him? <laughs> in back in 2016, Grand Staircase Escalante was created by President Bill Clinton in 1996. On his first day in office, Mr. Biden ordered a review of Trump's elimination of protections for these monuments. No president had ever before rolled back a national monument designation by another president, as Trump did. And nothing, frankly, in the nation's laws actually permits a president to do it. But, of course, law and order never stopped Donald Trump from doing any damn thing that he felt like doing, particularly if it both pleased his investors and allowed him to own the lib presidents before him in the bargain in June, Deb Holland, the nation's very first Native American Interior Secretary, advised President Biden to restore the original boundaries of the monuments. Today, Holland, a member of the La Laguna Pueblo, 
who now leads the federal agency that for much of the nation's history played a central role in the dislocation and abuse of indigenous communities from coast to coast. Well, she became emotional in her statement, recognizing the rededication and the reprotection of these sacred lands. We are here today on the ancestral homelands of the Anacostan and Piscataway people, bending the arc of the moral universe toward justice. Thank you, Mr. President, for the profound action you are taking today to permanently protect the homelands of our ancestors. Our songs, our languages, and our cultures are strong, and many people from many Indian tribes have sung and spoken in unison to protect this sacred place. Interior Secretary Deb Holland on Friday. Conservation groups welcomed the news. Uh, the uh, Jennifer Rocalla, the director of the Center for Western Priorities, an advocacy organization, said, quote, thank you, President Biden. You have listened to indigenous tribes and the American people and ensured these landscapes will be protected for generations to come. In a joint statement, however, Utah's congressional delegation, which happens to be all Republican, called the president's decision a, quote, devastating blow to its efforts to find a lasting solution that could not be changed with each administration. I don't think what they're looking for is a lasting solution that could not be changed with each administration. <laughs> I think what they're looking for is permission to despoil it and uh, take will, out... Uh, yeah. And extract all the profits from yep. it and run away. Yep. Uh, and you mentioned, uh, Des, before air, they, they're probably going to sue. Yes, to, uh, one to of try the, to stop uh, I think it's a state representative, yeah. uh, a state elected Republican official in Utah says that they're going to sue about this. Although there are already lawsuits underway because what Trump did was like, as you said, frankly, nothing never on done. The, yeah, never, never done before no. and probably illegal. Yeah, there's nothing in the books that says a president can undo another president's uh, national monument declarations. But uh, in any event, there's some good news uh, and a little bit better here, as with uh, so much, uh, frankly, that uh, Donald Trump did and does. His actions here may have actually harmed his cause more than helped them. The new boundary of Bears Ears will actually incorporate one element of the Trump era boundaries. When the Trump administration reduced the overall size of the monument by nearly one million acres, they also added... 11,200 acres that had not been previously protected. Now, the new boundaries that have been reestablished here by the new president will actually restore the original Obama-era boundary and will include the additional 11,200 Trump-era acres. Perfect. So, thank you, Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, hey, speaking of uh, Donald Trump as the loser that he is... Former President Trump's company lost more than $70 million on his Washington, D.C. hotel during his four years in office. Nonetheless, he took millions from foreign governments, according to documents released on Friday by the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, which has been investigating Trump's businesses. The committee said the luxury hotel just a few blocks from the White House was struggling so badly that the Trump Organization had to inject $27 million from other parts of his business and got, quote, preferential treatment 
from a major lender, in this case Deutsche Bank, to delay payments on a $170 million loan that Trump had personally guaranteed. The committee said the losses came despite an estimated $3.7 million in revenue from foreign governments, businesses that ethics experts say Trump should have refused because it posted conflicts of interest with his role as president and with the Constitution itself. The Constitution prohibits presidents from taking emoluments or payments from foreign governments. Trump insisted, however, that this prohibition did not apply to normal business transactions, allowing him to continue renting rooms and ballrooms to foreign states for whatever price he determined. While opponents sued in court against all of that, the process eventually took so long that it was ultimately dropped by the court as moot because Trump did not win a second term. He left office, and now I guess it no longer matters. I guess we have to wait for the next president to come <laughs> in and do something like this before we can test it out, or we can just wait for Donald Trump's second term. We'll get to that with my guest in a moment, I suspect. Uh, anyway, the Trump Organization said in a statement that the findings of the Democratic-led committee were totally misleading, completely false. It did not receive any special treatment from any lenders. This report is nothing more than continued political harassment in a desperate attempt to defame Trump in pursuit of their own agenda, said the company. The documents from the committee, however, the first public disclosure of audited financial statements from the hotel, show steep losses despite a brisk business from lobbyists, businesses, and Republican groups while Trump was in office. But even in its best years, the documents show that the hotel was only about 56% full, which was far behind its competitors in the D.C. luxury market during the same period. A loss between $13 million and $22 million every single year requiring constant injections of capital. The documents show Trump's company poured more than $24 million uh, in to the hotel from the company's own coffers in order to offset its annual losses. The alleged loan delay in question here uh, was by Deutsche Bank to the president, and it, it's uh, ca character, uh, characterized by the committee here as, quote, undisclosed preferential treatment that should have been reported by the president, the committee said in a letter to the General Services Administration, which is the federal agency overseeing and leasing the hotel to the Trump Organization. The hotel is in the side of the old uh, D.C. Uh, post office building. The uh, committee's Democratic co-chairs say the documents raise new and troubling questions about former President Trump's lease with GSA, the General Services Administration, and the agency's ability to manage the former president's conflicts of interest during his term in office when he was effectively on both sides of the contract as landlord and tenant. The documents show that in 2017, Trump's company told the GSA that it would be required to start paying the principal of its Deutsche Bank loan not just the interest, beginning in August of 2018. But then, in the filing for 2018, 
Trump's company said no principal would be due on the loan until 2024. Huh. How and why did that happen? Trump's financial documents did not give any explanation for the change in the wording or potentially for the change in the loan conditions. For its part, Deutsche Bank said in a statement that the committee made, quote, several inaccurate statements, unquote, about the loan agreement, but declined to elaborate, citing loan privacy concerns. <laughs> oh, really? It's awful, but it's too private for us to disclose. Well, we don't know. So we don't know what it is. We don't know what actually happened here and what changed between 2017 and 2018, 2017, when they said, oh, yeah, next year we're going to have to start repaying the full principal on the loan, not just the interest, uh, beginning next year. And then next year comes around and they say, yeah, we don't have to pay any principal at all until 2024. What happened? Did Deutsche Bank give the president of the United States a sweet, sweet deal to help offset his losses? Maybe. The committee's letter to the GSA said that the uh, hotel losses contradict the exaggerated image of financial success that the president was portraying in the personal financial disclosure reports that he sent to the federal ethics agency each year. But those reports require only revenue to be disclosed, not profits. So it looked like the hotel and Trump's businesses overall was, well, they were bringing in tons of money, but in fact, they were losing money, and it wasn't only the D.C. hotel that was losing money. His golf courses were losing money like crazy. But comparing revenue to profits is an apples-to-orange comparison, which uh, Eric Trump seized upon in a tweet, blasting the committee for their findings, saying, quote, Please learn the difference between gross revenue and net profit before writing us long letters. Not sure what he was trying to prove there, but we've got a lot of gross revenue. We have no net profit at all. We suck. We lose money every year. Get it straight. Trump uh, called the committee incompetent. OK. Uh, Trump's company has been trying to sell the 263-room hotel since the fall of 2019, just as soon as its contract with the GSA allowed it to do so, according to the Washington Post. But they've struggled to find buyers at a reported initial asking price of more than $500 million, which industry experts say uh, it is worth well short of that. The head of government ethics uh, watchdog group Crew said the losses shed new light on Trump's refusal to ban foreign governments from patronizing his business. Noah Bookbinder, the president of the group, said the only lifeline was the corrupt business coming from people and organizations and governments seeking to influence the president. His use of the presidency to get business was absolutely essential to stemming the flow of his losses. To allay concerns about conflicts of interest, Trump had promised to send payments to the U.S. Treasury on any foreign government earnings from his businesses each year. But how much were those earnings? Uh, that was left up to Trump to decide. Not that he'd ever lowball that sort of thing, right? The, uh, the committee said that the Washington, D.C. hotel payments under this deal totaled more than 350000 in the first three years of his presidency, but that's a small fraction of the three point seven million in revenue from those uh, from those foreigners. 
Critics say Trump's definition of earnings is unclear and gave the president plenty of room, in fact, to lowball the figure. The audited financial statements released by the committee show his Washington hotel was suffering every single year it was open. It lost nearly $50 million in the first three years of his presidency and then $22 million alone last year amid the pandemic. So the idea that Trump had a, a money machine for payments from foreign governments and businesses and lobbyists just uh, just down a few blocks from the White House was only one of the things, frankly, that our national corporate media failed to cover with the alarm bells that it should have during Trump's presidency. So are they doing any better now at raising alarm bells now that he's out of office after having tried to actually steal a second term in office? including sending his supporters out to attack the U.S. Capitol itself on January 6th to try and physically prevent the new president from being confirmed by Congress. Our next guest argues that the media are still not adequately stepping up to meet the moment, as democracy is now more imperiled than it was even during President Trump's first term. But uh, what should they, or I should say we, be doing about it? Eric Bullard of Press Run joins us next to discuss exactly that. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. Hey, this is Desi. The Bradcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Yes, the signs are all out there. Can't you read them? Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Longtime media critic Eric Bollert of Press Run is reading the signs himself. The signs of what he describes in his newsletter this past week as the clarion calls of democratic doom. Well, that sounds gloomy. They are out there, Bullard writes, but are newsrooms listening? Good question. Trump Republicans are methodically and unapologetically out to derail American democracy, he writes, yet there remains a working media assumption that it can't happen here. He cites Hillary Clinton, of all people, uh, who warned this past week on Twitter, quote, I'm astonished that more people don't see or can't face America's existential crisis. She fears, quote, our democracy will soon be broken and taken over and minority rule will be what we live under the norm. Well, that is gloomy indeed. Appearing on MSNBC, Republican Trump critic Stuart Stevens pleaded his succinct uh, case, quote, my plea to Democrats would be to just understand what is at stake here. The problem King George had was he couldn't imagine the creation of an American democracy, and we suffer from the same problem. We can't imagine the ending of American democracy, but it can happen, Stevens argued. 
And, of course, writing in the Washington Post, far-right foreign affairs author Robert Kagan warned, quote, The amateurish stop-the-steal efforts of 2020 have given way to an organized nationwide campaign to ensure that Trump and his supporters will have control over state and local election officials that they lacked in 2020. That, of course, is among the things that uh, we have been warning about for some time when it comes to Republicans around the country changing election laws to allow them to replace election officials with partisans and even allowing them to change election results themselves for virtually any reason they like. Are you seeing the signs? Appearing on MSNBC shortly after Kagan's somewhat horrifying warning, former GOP political strategist, in fact, John McCain's old campaign manager, Steve Schmidt, addressed the disturbing warning signs in that op-ed by the former Bush administration official Kagan, which predicted that the Republican Party's embrace of far-right extremists will result in political violence and chaos in the 2022 and 2024 elections, as well as the recently unearthed memo by the far right wing lawyer John Eastman that had created a so-called constitutional roadmap for the vice president to toss out electoral votes on January 6th to allow for Trump's attempted coup. We have an autocratic movement in this country, and one thing is certainly true. The Republican Party of late September 2021 is a profoundly more radical party uh, than it was on Election Day, than it was on January 6th, than it was on Inauguration Day. And part of the strategy, and it's important to understand, you see this with the chaos that could result from the debt ceiling, is they are driving both chaos at the same time where they are selling order. So all right-wing authoritarian movements always do this. It's how they come to power. They drive chaos through policies of cynicism, nihilism, and then they promise to restore order with easy scapegoats. This is mainstream. The party is now in open alliance with extremist elements. They include those fascists that you saw outside the Capitol, white nationalists, white supremacists, and a bevy of other extremist groups. Uh, certainly, there's going to be political violence in this country because the argument that Trump is making and so many of his allies is that civilization is going to collapse because of the hordes of minorities being imported to steal the birthright and the franchise of the American citizen. It is evil. It is demagogic. It has been done before in history, the stigmatizing of people who are the weakest in a society to scapegoat and to diffuse the blame from the problems that those that are that are that are attacking them are responsible for creating in the first place. So, yeah, we're in a very dangerous moment in this country and it's going to get worse. Steve Schmidt should have his own cable channel where all there is is Steve Schmidt speaking 24 hours a day. Yes, the signs are everywhere. Bollert goes on to warn that in the weeks following Trump's defeat last year, he and his crooked allies utilized an ad hoc Hail Mary approach to try to steal back the White House. Thank you for calling it out for what it was, Mr. Bollert, an attempt to steal a presidential election. 
After he failed, Bullard notes, instead of the Republican Party recoiling from the idea of trying to throw out millions of legitimate votes, the GOP set out to create a backstop in states around the country that would codify the next attempt by Republicans to throw out millions of legitimate votes. Now, Trump and his followers are using lawsuits, legislation and terroristic threats to curtail the right to vote. It's all being done in plain sight. Yet there remains a stubborn newsroom assumption that American democracy cannot be systematically steamrolled. As has so often been the case in other countries where fascist leaders arise, Kagan's essential warning noted, there would be opponents are paralyzed in confusion and amazement at this charismatic authoritarian. America is not guaranteed a happy ending, Bullard's own stark warning makes clear, even as uh, most of us grew up with the shared assumption that it was. The signs are everywhere. But how should we in the media be covering it? Told you this might be gloomy. Joining us now is our old friend and go-to media critic, Eric Bullard. You may know him from his many appearances here over the years or from his years as a media analyst at Media Matters for America and Salon and Daily Coast. He now publishes his own must-read email newsletter called Press Run, which you can subscribe to for free at PressRun.media. Eric Bollert, sir, welcome back to the broadcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, Eric, uh, on our previous broadcast, I spent quite a bit of time focusing on mainstream corporate media failures on two different points. One, in regard to this ridiculous debt ceiling terrorism waged by Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans threatening to plunge the nation and the world economy into recession by failing to increase the nation's borrowing limit for the first time in U.S. history, um, where much of the media described this legislative hostage-taking, frankly, as a, quote, a standoff between the two parties. Uh, AP described McConnell's eventual backdown, at least for now, as, quote, the Republican and Democratic leaders edged back from a perilous standoff. <laughs> and a second, even more infuriating critique that I, I had for our media on our previous show, and I think it's a bit closer to the specific point you're identifying here in your uh, America isn't guaranteed a happy ending column, uh, is the references to what Trump did after November as an attempt to question the results of the election or to subvert the results or, you know, big even big lie, self-coup. Donald Trump, the sitting president of the United States, in fact, tried to steal the 2020 presidential election. Our media has a difficult time simply calling it out as such. Am I wrong in calling out the media for their particular failure on that point as I see it over the past year? Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And, and um, there is a failure of an imagination, but I feel like it's a purposeful failure of imagination. Trump in September of 2020 was the first time he was asked at a White House briefing if he would accept the re election results mm -hmm. and assure a peaceful transfer of power in September he said, well, we'll see. He said, uh, you know, I'm, uh, there's problems with the ballots. Uh, we're going to have to see. Um, it, it was probably one of the most astonishing comments ever made by a sitting president. Uh, the next day, the Times put that on page 15. Uh, and, and so that was the beginning. Twelve, Thirteen months ago was yep. the beginning. Uh, and then after the election, 
uh, in the days and weeks, first early weeks, long before the insurrection, mm-hmm. uh, Trump was doing everything in his power to, uh, as we know more and more now, I mean, there was a Senate Judiciary Report that came out this week detailing nine different times he contacted the Department of Justice, yes. asking them to intervene and interfere. But November and December of 2020, uh, you know, Politico, call, Politico called it bad sportsmanship, you know, that he was guilty <laughs> of bad sportsmanship. You know, there was lots of media coverage on. He was sulking in the White House. Uh, basically, the, the media narrative was, you know, just give him, a, give him some time. You know, he's mad. He's upset he lost. He's just got to, you know, work through this. Uh, it's no big deal. He's not going to try to steal election. The Republican Party would never do that, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, you know, we know what history, uh, well, uh, how, how that unfolded. But just real quick, the, it, it, so it's been a purposeful failure of imagination, and we still have it today, 13 months after Trump said, uh, I'm probably not going to abide by the election results. Yeah, it's it's uh, you argue it's almost 2022 at this point, and outlets like Washington Post are still pointlessly and sheepish, sheepishly referring to incessant Trump lies about the election as, quote, baseless claims and false allegations. Uh, I would argue that anything short of he tried to steal the election and now he's trying to steal the next one uh, seems to be doing him a favor and democracy itself a disservice. But why, you argue, is this purposeful? Why would they want to do that? Why would they want to purposely downplay these concerns? I think they feel like they, you know, this has been the defining problem, uh, failure of the of uh, the D.C. press since Obama, and it, was, it only became intensified in the last five years, I think, which is it's a failure to aggressively and, and purposely call out the Republican Party for what it is, which is a, a, a radical and dangerous and increasingly undemocratic and increasingly authoritarian. The press just wants to wants to cover it as a center-right party, you know, scrapping with the center-left Democrats. You know, you mentioned that awful framing on, on the debt ceiling. Mm-hmm. You know, well, both sides came back from the edge. Right. No. That's not what happened. Uh, Democrats uh, who, who helped Republicans raise the debt ceiling while Trump was president uh, were, were willing to raise it. And the Republican Party not only took the astonishing position that we are not going to help you raise the debt ceiling, we will allow possible loss of six million jobs, but we're going to make it a filibuster. So you're going to need 60 votes right. to raise the debt ceiling and save the U.S. economy, economy from a catastrophe. That's what McConnell walked back from the brink for mm-hmm. the short term this week. Yep. But that's not both sides, you know, haggling. That's a terror threat by the yep. Republican Party, which purposely wants to wreck the U.S. economy when there's a Democratic president. That's not even open to debate at this point. Yeah. Uh, but to go back to your, your central question, why would they do this? You know, the press doesn't really seem to have a vested interest uh, or acknowledge that it has a vested interest in having a functioning democracy in this mm-hmm. country. It seems to think its job is to, you know, document the mm-hmm. the destruction of our democracy in a passive and you know both sides kind of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's really amazing to watch. The re- obviously Trump understands that he play he's playing the, you know, the press like a fiddle. Those alarms just are not going off they w- the way they ought to be going off. The uh, um, media professor uh, Jay Rosen at NYU notes that there there should be, and, and I think he's cited a few sort of bullet point, uh, you know, rock bottom uh, uh, causes that the media 
ought to have in this country. One of them is the idea of supporting democracy. Is that the uh, should that be the job of U.S. media? I would argue yes, but I'm not sure. Does that uh, put their thumb on the scale somehow for democracy it's a ridiculous question i know but entertain well, me here how do we it's an, it's an incredible scenario for this country to be in i mean no one ever thought you know probably before 2016 yeah that you know that working journalists would have to pick a side look that's their dread that's what they hate oh we don't want to pick sides just let us be in the middle even if we're playing this dopey both sides game and, it, and you even know, if the middle of, even if the middle is the middle between democracy and autocracy we don't want to pick yeah, a side right so you know they were even uncomfortable you know qu- you know picking a side when it was you know immigration or something like that mm-hmm. the idea that they would do it for something as central as, as a functioning democracy again the idea that they this, this would be even a central question for the united states in terms of facing uh, what they face now. Uh, so no one ever thought they would be put in this position, but it ought to be an obvious choice. Uh, and, 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 but they feel like, oh, we can't take sides, we can't take sides. If, there is a, if, there is a, if the Republican Party is anti-democracy, we can't be pro-democracy because that looks like we're, we're opposing them. Yeah. So we're just going to recede into the, uh, you know, into the sidelines and, and, and we'll give you updates uh, every time they try to uh, demolish our democracy. I'm overstating it, but that's kind of where they are. It is. I, you know, Eric Bullard, I actually, this column of yours, America Isn't Guaranteed a Happy Ending, uh, struck something in me that I want to get to specifically um, to help sort of set that up. You, you bullet point just a few of the signs, if you will, the clarion calls of democratic doom that are out there, as you describe it in your newsletter, just, just from the past. Last week or two, uh, I, I think that the that the media, yep. as you see it, are not fully appreciating what should be taken from these things. Uh, I've got to follow up on this, uh, and it's the reason I wanted to have you on to talk about it. But first, if you could just run through. Uh, press run through, if you will, uh, some of those points for us that that you see as the most troubling and clarion in in just the past uh, week or two, as you see them. Oh yeah, I mean you know the the uh, I point to a couple polling uh, results. Seven in ten Republicans don't believe uh, Biden won the elections. You know, almost seventy percent of red state Republicans want to secede from the United States. This fraud it from Arizona, which confirmed yet again that Biden uh, had won, is now spreading across the country. Pen- you know, Texas, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. They want to they want to produce these charades. Regardless of the results all over the country, those are that's a clear attack on election integrity. Uh, you know, and even after the Arizona fraud, it confirmed Biden won. Trump shows up in a rally, said, "Oh, that audit proves I won." Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's just you know the the uh, Travis County Democratic Party in Texas was firebombed last week. Mm-hmm. In, in Colorado, the Secretary of State is in court. And the FBI is investigating because a local county, Republican county clerk, Mm -hmm. snuck someone into the, you know, into the uh, election office and gave them all the files from uh, the Dominion voting systems. And those files Mm -hmm. showed up online among election deniers. So now we've got Republicans within the state election system trying to overturn Mm -hmm. these these things. Oh, and, and I found this incredible story that I didn't even realize. 
you know, Trump supporters around the country are hanging black American flags right out front of their house. Mm. Uh, and, it, and, and, it, and it symbolizes the idea of no quarter will be given, which means when the fighting starts, they will kill all their enemies, including their neighbors. And their enemies are, you know, Democrats, liberals, the vaccinated, mm-hmm. uh, and things like the. And then just one other thing I note that we've yeah. all seen, you know, these COVID zombies, as I call them, at the school board meetings, uh, just absolutely, uh, you know, wreaking chaos. And there was one woman got up and, and she she shrieked. She said, "I'd rather see this school in ashes than 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 have these students have to wear a mask." That's like in a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that was, if, that's just a few of the signs, and that's why. Uh, so here I'm getting uh, I'm getting closer to my question as far as why I really wanted to have you on to discuss this. Uh, you argue that despite all of those clarion signs and, of course, many, yeah. many more, um, yeah. you, you, you argue, quote, the press still keeps its distance. What does that mean exactly? And, and like I said, I'm asking for a specific reason that I'll get to in a moment. Yeah, I think distance is uh, the lack of um, the fire alarm, the lack of the holy cow, the lack of our country is under attack, the lack of we need to rally the troops. You know, it's it's just this passive frog in the boiling water, uh, the, the the lack of clarity about authoritarianism in this country. And again, it, and, and, and it just goes back to my headline, this idea that it can't happen here. Mm. Uh, we are immune to this. We are immune to fascism. We are immune to authoritarianism. Oh, sure, in the last 10 years it's happened in Hungary, it's happened in Poland, it's happened in Turkey. Th- those aren't us. We've been doing this 270 years. Any, no matter what Trump and the Republican Party hatch, uh, this country is indestructible and this democracy mm. is indestructible, which is a complete fantasy. And you're, but you're right. I mean, and it even... Uh, well, here's my specific reason that I wanted yeah. to have you on today to discuss this uh, in, in truth, because I am not really sure how to cover all of this either. Eric, sure. I, you know, I struggle with this every day and I feel that I am not doing enough myself, uh, but I'm not sure what else to do. I'm not sure how best to cover any of this with the gravity that it really deserves. And, uh, yes. you know, wh- wh- where are our media, uh, uh, where are they falling short and, and how could they improve in their coverage? After all, uh, you know, all the things that you detailed in your column, Eric, actually come from the press. We know about them yeah, sure, sure. because of the press so they are doing something they are covering these things they are informing us about these things but is it that they're not covering them enough how could they or uh, or should they or could or should i uh, you know change my own coverage to adequately meet the moment as you see it you know that's a good point about the the tonnage and that's you know, and that goes back to the Trump years. I mean, it was just nonstop chaos for four years. Mm-hmm. I mean, there would be five or seven crazy stories in a day. Yep. And that's baked in. That is all part of the plan. That's not coincidental. The idea is to flood the zone and just make up and down impossible to see. So at one point, you know, you're not, you know, what you're dealing with in terms of feeling overwhelmed, that's by design. <laughs> mm. And and that's part of the authoritarian. It's working. Uh, playbook. It's working. It, it's yeah. Totally working. Yeah. But I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a very quick specific example. And so this week, the Senate Judiciary Committee released that report I talked about mm-hmm. nine times that Trump 
uh, contacted the Department of Justice, asked them to interfere with an election. Mm -hmm. Richard Nixon resigned from office for doing a tenth of what that report shows. Mm -hmm. Last night on the evening network news shows, which combined still get like 30 million viewers, was not mentioned on CBS, was not mentioned on ABC. Really? Only NBC, only NBC mentioned it. And in the, 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 the following day on the morning shows, only uh, the Today Show had a brief mention. That should have been wow. the number one story. And it wasn't. And well, by the way, I, let me let me just jump in for, just to respond to one point on that. You know, had the Democrats, because this is a problem with the Democrats themselves as well. Their report also referred to the president's attempt to, you know, subvert the election, to reverse results, to raise questions. I wonder had they, uh, you know, called that instead of subvert uh, justice or whatever, had they called it. Donald Trump tried to steal the election. I wonder if that would have gotten more attention from CBS and ABC, because I feel like the Democrats are similarly sort of underplaying what happened here and what is happening here. Oh, you know, that's a fair point. And and it's certainly possible if they had used that language, they would have gotten attention. It's also possible if they had used that language, the D.C. press would have been, uh, you know, kind of roll their eyes. Oh, the, you know, these people with their rhetoric about stealing that, that they're not serious people. They're, you know, wow. not. so I think Democrats have to try to, you know, thread the needle, okay. you know, be alarmist. Uh -huh. But with Democrats are held to a different standard, is my point. Yeah. And if there's too much alarm, the the D.C. press kind of recoils and oh, you know, these are you know, these these are just they're obsessed with Trump. What's going on over there? Mm. So it, it's I under I understand your critique and it's a valid one, but I also think uh, uh, Democrats um, face different hurdles than Republicans in terms of dealing with the press. So what could we do? How could uh, we'll take me out of it? But but just the media, how you oh, know, sure. we I, know these yeah, things it, because it, of them. How, how are they not adequately covering it? You know, it it started way back when, and we've talked about this 15 times, you know, not calling Trump a liar. People think, you know, people look at me like I have two heads, like, why does he care about this? Because it, it defines the, the conversation that we have. If the New York Times for four years on the front page, Trump lies about immigration, Trump lies about tax returns. I mean, if it had just become part of who we are, if there had been coverage about how, you know, he's clearly a madman and, and, and yeah. not mentally stable, if we had had an honest conversation uh, about that, it would have helped, and and so that just seeps into everything, and the normalizing and the normalization. And I'm convinced, you know, I don't think this is any great prediction. They obviously want him to run in 2024. They obviously want him back. The uh, media, the national. Yeah, absolutely, and they want him back on the national stage. And so there's all this, you know, this coverage of him. Oh, is he going to run? What will that mean? All this excited jockeying coverage about his political future what's never mentioned half a million dead from covid under his watch because mm -hmm. he wanted people to inject bleach all this stuff about overthrowing the election all this stuff about the insurrection that stuff just kind of evaporates into the ether mm -hmm. and he's just this you know charismatic you know guy who has the iron iron control of, of the republican base all of the other madness uh, just kind of um, fades to the side mm. because they want this guy back. And I'm absolutely convinced of that, which goes back to the point I made. You can't be in, you can't be invested in having a functioning democracy and get up every day and can't wait for Donald Trump to, to run again. Uh, those are two contradictory yeah. notions. Right. You just can't. 
Uh, although the idea of, you know, the Republican, he's the Republican front runner after all, so we can't take sides against yeah, exactly. him. I mean, it, and it is a pickle. I mean, because uh, your journalistic ethics, Eric, mine as well, you know, if he is the Republican nominee, I, you know, I, it, it is difficult. I mean, I, I'm going to give uh, cut the media some some slack here because it is difficult. You know, when he starts, when he makes his announcement that he's going to run, well, we will probably I will probably feel as though I have to carry it. Oh, sure. You know and, I mean? But the problem is for the mainstream media, once he announces he's running, he's going to get the exact same coverage he got in 2015. Nothing will have changed, yeah. even though he has this record of carnage and death, unlike any pr- candidate in yeah. American history. Yeah. Your uh, lastly here, your, your thrice, I think thrice weekly newsletter um, always include uh, and people should sign up to it again. Press media. But they always include what you describe as good stuff, actually good coverage from someone in the media, often related to your central complaint uh, on, on, on this matter. You cite uh, Chauncey DeVega's excellent salon piece. Will the mainstream media ever face its failure to tell the truth about January 6th as DeVega dings the uh, quote gatekeepers of approved public discourse in America for their attempt to downplay what he describes as a, a as a failure to properly cover and warn about January 6 and ignore uh, their own failures and 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 their hopes that America doesn't notice now in my own defense here uh, we don't well we covered January 6 incessantly on this show and yeah the dangerously unprecedented legal arguments about how the Constitution allows the vice president to simply ignore the Electoral College votes and toss the whole thing to the House, where Republicans hold a majority of of state delegations to decide the election. But we don't cover it all that much now because, frankly, we covered it when it was happening in the months yeah, right. leading up to January 6th. None of this stuff, the, the Eastman memo and so forth that's come out, people are like, why aren't you covering that? It's like, we covered it at the time. It was right, known. Right. It was clear. We kept warning about that date, January 6th, damn near every single day on this show in the month or two leading up to it. How did, A, the media drop the ball on that one, as you see it, and, and how are they now trying to disguise that fa- that failure or are they getting any better in their coverage of the at least the investigation of January 6 um, no I don't think they're getting any better I think it's still kind of sheepish and timid and in 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 the point Chauncey was making at salon you know it goes beyond um, you know the January 6 coverage the, the DT press has a really bad history and and um, tradition of acknowledging mistakes Whenever they cover Republicans, they never acknowledged mistakes in 2016 when they created this absurd uh, double standard for the first woman nominee versus Trump, uh, and and they didn't, you know, so they they don't acknowledge when they fall down, uh, and and the harm is done to Democrats, and they don't acknowledge when they fall down, and they're boosting Republicans. Um, so in terms of, you know, it's funny, right after. The, the insurrection, the New York Times and everybody rushed out with these front page pieces. Oh, this is it for the Republican Party. They're, they are done with Donald Trump. These people, you know, Republican leaders can't sleep at night. They're, they're <laughs> stunned. They're shocked. What uh-huh. has happened in this country? Senate, Senate Democrats released that judiciary report, and Republicans released their counter report mm-hmm. explaining why Trump 
did nothing wrong mm-hmm. when he tried to steal the election for three months uh, from November to January. So the Republicans, the media had convinced themselves, oh, my God, there was a violent insurrection. This will be the end of it. Mitch McConnell will put his foot down. Chuck Grassley is an institutionalist. They love this. Yeah, right. Good luck with that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, again, it's the failure of imagination. It's a failure to understand uh, just how dangerous uh, the conservative movement is in this country. Well, thank you for continuing to call them out, Eric. I guess ultimately that's all we can do is hold their feet to the fire, report uh, accurately and truthfully, no matter uh, whose ox gets gored uh, in the support of democracy, which doesn't seem like all that radical an, uh, an idea. I guess if I'm biased... Let it be towards democracy. Eric Bollert, you can find him uh, and sign up for his newsletter at pressrun.media. You can also follow him on the Twitters at Eric Bollert. Eric, always uh, great speaking with you, my friend. I look forward to doing it again soon. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, quick break here. We're uh, going from the from those dark signs, Desi Doyen, yes. to uh, something a little brighter <laughs> to get us out. Good. That's straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. That's nice. Yeah. Summer Highland Falls by Billy Joel. Billy Joel? Yeah. He's quite the piano man. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We um, we started today uh, lauding President Biden for restoring national monuments and sacred tribal lands in Bear Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante in Utah after Donald Trump, for the first time in history, found a presidential power that, frankly, did not actually exist to shut down and turn over uh, millions of protected acres to developers and mining interests to shut down national monuments established by previous presidents. He just made that one up. Well, we end, uh, at least with this, not entirely unrelated news. The Biden White House will be the first to officially commemorate Indigenous Peoples Day. On Monday, this gives White House uh, backing to efforts to refocus the federal holiday celebrating Christopher Columbus toward an appreciation of Native peoples, according to AP. And boy, if you think Deb Holland was uh, crying about restoring uh, (laughs) Bears ears, uh, this is probably also going to be quite nice for her as well. Our first Um, Native American Indigenous uh, uh, Interior Secretary. Biden also issued a Columbus Day proclamation noting injustices against indigenous peoples, saying, quote, it is a measure of our greatness as a nation that we do not seek to bury these shameful episodes of our past. Well, okay. I guess if history starts right now, (laughs) 
Anyway, changing. It can start. You can yeah. every day offers you a new opportunity to go. make the right choice. Thank you. This is supposed to be the segment where we, uh, you know, try <laughs> to help people not have nightmares from everything they heard over the past fifty-eight minutes. Uh, changing Columbus Day officially, however, will uh, into Indigenous Peoples Day from Columbus Day, and changing it to that or to anything else would require an act of Congress. And of course, good luck with that with our current Congress. Biden's Indigenous Peoples Day proclamation honors Native Americans for their commitment to the U.S. military and in fighting COVID. It also recognized U.S. injustices against those that it now honors, reading... For generations, federal policies systematically sought to assimilate and displace Native people and eradicate Native cultures. Today, we recognize Indigenous peoples' resilience and strength, as well as the immeasurable positive impact that they have made on every aspect of American society. The uh, bottom line, as Axios describes it, Biden is pivoting from former President Trump, who last year denounced, quote, Radical activists that have sought to undermine Christopher Columbus's legacy. But I don't know how much you could undermine it uh, any more <laughs> than Christopher Columbus himself did. But uh, where I joked about uh, Deb Holland, uh, uh, I should note, uh, Desi Doyen, you are of Native American heritage. heritage. Yes, yeah. I am. This is important stuff. I'm yeah. glad that Biden is doing this. It's about time. It is about time. Anyway, it's about time we get the hell out of here. <laughs> Thank you uh, very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks, of course, to my guest today, Eric Bullard of PressRun.media, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. We hope it was not too nightmarish. If you missed any portion of today's nightmare, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, where I hope you will uh, share it with your friends and your family and your neighbors and your enemies and anyone else you like. All of that is made possible, including Desi and I, every day on your public airwaves by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. Hey, if you haven't done that in a while, please consider doing so again soon. Bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at The Brad Blog. I will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. They say that these are not the best of times. They're the only times I've ever known. And I believe there is a time for meditation in cathedrals of our own.